Before we do our scripture reading, I'm going to actually start the sermon first. You know, when we sing our songs here at church, we use our hymnals like we did today. Or there's a list of songs that we use that, uh, that, that Mr. Andy and, and Phil and others will use to bring us into singing songs to him. We have to know that singing has always been a very important part of the Jewish and the Christian worship. And we have to remember that Jesus himself was someone who would worship the Lord himself. And he would worship the Lord, not simply by, by stoically praying to him or stoically reciting verses, but he would worship the Lord in song. And the Lord's, Jesus's hymn book, were the Psalms. Now, when you see the Psalms, you see just poetry. But in the Hebrew language itself, there were actually indications of where you're supposed to, what we say today, cantillate, or you modulate your voice in terms of how to sing. And we've lost that metric. We don't know exactly how the tune went. But we do know that they would sing the Psalms to the Lord always. Can you imagine that as we go through the Psalms and as we read these Psalms, that the comfort and encouragement that you are receiving is the same comfort and encouragement that your Savior Jesus is receiving right now. Now, when Jesus would, would sing these psalms, you've got to remember, we have to remember that music isn't simply about being able to recite something. But the reason why we have a psalter, the reason why we sing, is because we are singing to God, not with simply our voices, but our whole body unto him. If you've ever been to a concert, whether it's a K-pop concert or whether it's a good rock and roll concert of the 80s, and you're in an audience, you could be at the passionate observer and just sit and listen. But if you're like me, and I know some of you out there who love K-pop, you will start singing. And when you start singing, you don't simply stand there and mouth the words, do you? When you sing, you, your body starts to sway. If you really get into the music, you, you start to dance. There is something about the Psalter, the Psalms, and, 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 and music together with God's Word that allows you to, to worship with, with, with the innermost parts of your being, your bones desire to worship the Lord. I still remember when I was young and I would, you would go to an orchestra concert or you see a quartet playing or you see a pianist playing and you just look at their faces and you're going, why are they making funny faces? Why are they moving around like this so much? Why can't they just sit there and play? You can't. You can't. When the music and the words reflect what is beautiful to you. 
when the words and the music together are able to minister to your mind and to your heart, to your emotions together. And so when we read the Psalms, I wish we could sing them in many ways, but when we read the Psalms, I want you to think of Jesus reading these Psalms and singing these Psalms. Not as a dispassionate scholar or simply believer, but as someone who loves the Lord. In the same way we as God's people, when we sit and when we read the Psalms, we read them with our hearts. We read them rejoicing. We read them with our hands raised. We read them with, with our bodies falling to our knees. We read them knowing that we are singing before the Lord and echoing unto Him the glory due to Him. You can imagine Jesus reciting the Psalms of lament as he is suffering on the way. You can imagine Jesus being encouraged as he reads the Psalms of Jesus's, of God's deliverance for Israel. You could hear Jesus being encouraged when he's going through Psalm 136, perhaps, and hearing about about God's powerful creation and the history of how God has always been faithful. And you can hear Jesus being encouraged by singing these psalms. Christ in the psalms in, in, in one way is simply to know and understand that Jesus himself used the Psalter as a way to worship his God as well. So for all of us, when you sing, when we're singing these hymns or singing these songs, whatever your body does, let it do as you sing unto him. Let us worship the Lord, not simply with our lips, but with the deepness of our hearts. And so here we go, Psalm 110. Hear the words of the Lord. Hear it the way perhaps Jesus might have heard it as an encouragement to him. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. 
He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Psalm 110 is a glorious picture of the Lord himself, God himself, providing a king, a priest, to rule over his people. A king and a priest whom God will not abandon. A king or a priest who God will use to lead his people unto salvation. It is the only place in all of society, in all of earth, where the divine right of kings actually is correct. For there is only one king or one priest that the Lord himself has blessed and the Lord himself has called to rule forever and ever. We do not look to the leaders of this world, whether it be earthly kings or presidents or prime ministers or or leaders of society or captains of industry to bring about salvation or to bring about what is ultimately good. They have no divine right. They themselves cannot usher in the salvation that we as human beings eagerly desire. But God has promised that there would be one, a king who would rule forever, upon whom his hand rests, that we can all look upon and look to, to rule us with love and justice, to bring about compassion to those who need compassion, judgment upon those who have gone against the God's rule and to give sustenance and joy to those who follow him. We as God's people are always meant to look for a king, to look to someone or something who will lead us and give us guidance, help us to know which path is the correct path to take. Our society today takes a different point of view. Child-rearing nowadays is very different than it was before. When you see children, five or younger, out about in the playground, you see that they have a lot more, as the parents would like to say, freedom to run around and do what they want. A lot more freedom to vocalize what they want to say, however they want to say it. All in the name of creativity. All in the name of finding one's individual voice. But there's a paradox to this. That when you tell a child or you tell a person to find yourself, to find your own voice, and if the only place they have to look is simply within themselves, they will find that there is nothing within themselves 
that will actually lead them to a place of fulfillment. And in fact, as many of us know, that the more we think that we are living within ourselves, the more we understand that we're actually a product of our society around us. And the more we start to understand that we do have people and heroes and things that we look forward, look to, to give us meaning, to give us rule, to give us direction. And many of these children, when they grow up and they go to college, they have no idea who they are or what to do because they've always been taught to look for meaning in themselves. But we as people are always meant to have a ruler or someone to guide us and lead us. Someone to protect us. There is no earthly king, earthly CEO, earthly presidents of universities that have all the answers. We all look for a king. We all look for someone to bring about justice, to bring about rule. This psalm here is a psalm of, of David. It's a psalm of a king who is vacillating about his, his authority. A king who, does, who is unsure whether or not his people will follow him. And he writes this. knowing that the Lord himself has promised in his covenant that there will be a king that the Lord will place, a king to rule over not only Israel, but all of the world. We remember that, that in, 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 <clears throat> in Joshua and Judges, that God said to them, I will be your king. God will be your king. That you will not be like the other nations. You will be a nation without a king, but I will be here to rule for you. I will speak through Moses and the other prophets, and they will tell you as a kingdom where you should go, what you should do, what wars to fight. And I will promise to always be with you. But the people of Israel did not like that, and they wanted to be like the other nations. He said, no, give to us an earthly king who can speak for you. The Lord relented. Saul became the first king. And as we saw the traces of the kings that the Lord provided, we see that some kings were better than the others. But in the end, each king failed. Why? Because God's desire from the very beginning was not that some human would be king, but that God himself would be king. For only God has the authority and the power and the wisdom to rule well. 
But what is intriguing about God's promises in the Old Testament is that the covenant of, of kingship for his people was that in the line of David, that there would be a king in the line of David, a son of David forever who will reign. And so the question occurs to us when we're reading the Old Testament, right? It's like God has promised that, or God has said that the intention is I will be king. He relents and makes Saul, a human being, his king. And he promises in his covenant that there will be a human king in the line of David. And so when you're reading the Old Testament, you're, you're wondering, how is this promise going to be fulfilled? How is it that God's going to keep both of these intentions to work together in, in harmony? And of course, we know today that that has been answered because Jesus himself came to be the ultimate king. He is both the son of God and the son of man. He is a divine king, God himself in flesh, who rules with divine power. And yet he is the son of David himself and a fulfillment of the covenant of God that a man in the line of David would forever be the king over his people. And so it is Jesus himself who rules and Jesus himself who has been promised the kingship forever and ever. There is no one, brothers and sisters, that you should bow down to than Christ himself. He and he alone is worthy to give all your allegiance. He and he alone is worthy to trust when you think that your way might be better. He and he alone is who we follow. Now there's something very interesting in this psalm. You see, not only in human nature do we want to be ruled, do we want someone to have power to enact justice? Do we want someone to enact policy, if I can put it that way, of, of how we should live and, and how a kingdom should move forward? What morality should be enacted? What law should be enacted? But the Old Testament shows us that we as human beings, we have, we have three functions, the three things that we need. One is, is a king. Second is, is we need a prophet. We need someone to always to, to speak to us words of truth. Someone to bring wisdom into our lives. And we see that in the Old Testament, the, the prophets that the Lord raises from Moses all the way down to, to Malachi. And these prophets are always come to bring a word from the Lord, to bring truth to God's people. Whether it be a word of judgment 
a word of encouragement, or a word of future fulfillment. But these words gave hope and power to this people. We ourselves as human beings, not only do we need someone, what we want someone to rule us, we want people to speak truth to us. We want to hear words. We want, we want to know what the world should be like. There is none of us here, none of us here who can live a life without words, whether given or received. And we know how powerful words can be. Words can bring us life. And a simple word can destroy us as well. The third function that we have is we 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 have a priestly a God that 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 we that we desire is this priestly function: the king, the prophet, and the priest. We want we we need a priest because we want someone who can absolve us, someone who could take away our guilt, someone who could take away our shame, someone who could take away. Whatever we think is wrong with us. And we look to people to do that all the time. For some of us, we may carry the shame of how we grew up. We may carry the shame of not achieving what we should have achieved. We carry the shame of unrealized expectations. And we turn to people and we ask, it's okay, right, that I'm like this. And all the person has to say is, it's okay. And that person becomes your priest right there and then giving you absolution. We turn to social media all the time to look for people who have similar opinions that we do. Why? We need a priesthood to say that what we think is okay. Whether it's, not, whether it's true or not is besides the point. But we're always looking for someone to affirm whatever it is that we are. But these three functions, being a prophet, of the prophet, priest, and king, is, is, is baked into what it means to be the image of God, to be a person. We want someone to follow. We want someone to speak true words to us. And we want someone to absolve us. Now in the Old Testament, those were done by three different peoples. You had a king, you had a priest, you had a prophet. But this passage is special. In that it wraps together the kingly function and the priestly function. Here in verse 4, the passage says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek is this shadowy figure. Not, not much is known about him. But he arises in Genesis chapter 14. 
And after Abraham had, had, had won a war, King Melchizedek, Melchizedek of Salem came out with bread and wine. And he offered it to Abraham, and then he blessed Abraham. He was a king, but he used a priestly function to bring about blessing and intercession before him. Hebrews chapter 4 and 5 pick up on this. When, when, when the writer is talking about Jesus' high priestly function, that Jesus himself is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a lot of speculation of what that means. But at the very least, it means this, that Jesus himself is not simply a priest and not a king or a prophet, a priest apart from these other functions. But he's showing at the very least that Jesus is king and a priest together. And we see in other parts of Scripture that the prophetic aspect will come to that Jesus holds all three of these offices in perfection. But he is a priest in the order of King, of king Melchizedek, not in the order of the Levites, in the sense that he can both rule and serve as intercessor at the same time. Jesus himself is a priestly king or a kingly priest who can do all the functions that is necessary. Why is this good news? We often say in our world today, you need to know a good priest, a good lawyer, a good mechanic, and a good doctor. Nowadays, you need a plumber and an IT guy too, right? But you just need to know people to make your world function. Our spiritual lives, brothers and sisters, you don't need a separate prophet. to tell you what is true. You don't need a separate priest to go to to bring you absolution. You don't need another person who's a king who can tell you where to walk to. They're all one person. Jesus himself. the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. May the Lord bless our church. May we turn to the Lord and the Lord only for everything that we need. Made in the image God, want to know our purpose in life. Someone speaking true words to us, someone absolving us. We don't need to turn anywhere else for those three functions. They're all found in Christ and Christ alone. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in all things. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift 
of your Psalter, your Psalms. We thank you that they're not simple poetry that we read passively in an armchair, sipping our favorite drink. But that your Psalms is more than that. They're meant to use for singing, for rejoicing. There are both sad songs there. There are happy songs there. And there are triumphant songs there. And so we sing to you with our whole being. We thank you, Jesus, that you are not a dysfunctional Savior, that you are not a partial Savior, but yet you are a Savior who saves completely. There is nothing lacking in you. And we thank you that today that we can experience and share communion together. And we ask of you, Lord God, as we do so, that we would see your priestly function, that you yourself laid down your life for us, and you yourself were the sacrifice as well, and the priest that offered. We thank you that you show us your, your love for us in that, and that we know, Lord, that this church and ourselves, that all we need is you. So continue to bless us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.